Aloha, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of our Progress Proud podcast. We're excited to get this podcast up and running. And what it's really all about is putting a spotlight on the progress culture and the people who make up progress, highlighting what's important to us, the work we're proud of, and the people we're proud of by interviewing employees across departments around the world. For our first episode, members of the leadership team joined us for an important and honest conversation about inclusion and diversity in corporate America and beyond. We begin by addressing recent data from the Boston Club. And for those who don't know, they're a community of executives and professionals invested in elevating women to leadership positions. Their annual census of women directors and executive officers in Massachusetts public companies exposed how underrepresented women and people of color are in corporate leadership positions. The conversation turned into addressing the question of how do we fix this? How can we ensure that every employee has the same opportunity to succeed, that there is a path to leadership available, and that they feel empowered to bring their whole honest selves to work? And a recurring theme that popped up was representation matters, from the leadership team of a company all the way to the leadership team of a country. It was a truly great discussion, and I'm happy we're able to share this with you all. So please enjoy the following conversation among Yogesh Gupta, Chief Executive Officer, Katie Kolakowski, Chief People Officer, Anthony Folger, Chief Financial Officer, Lauren Jarrett, General Manager, Developer Tools Business, Steve Faberman, Chief Legal Officer, and Jen Ortiz, Vice President of Corporate Marketing. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Hi, Danielle. Hello. Hi, Danielle. Hi, Danielle. Hey, Danielle. Hey, Danielle. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate your time. Oh, it's our pleasure. First question. Recently, the Boston Club released results from its annual Census of Women Directors and Executive Officers in Massachusetts Public Companies. And that census found that women and people of color are dramatically underrepresented in corporate leadership and on corporate boards. So Yogesh, as CEO, I'm curious to get your perspective on this. What do companies need to do differently to create a leadership pipeline to the C-suite and to the board? So Danielle, I think the key part here is one has to be intentional, right? In the end, one has to make sure that one understands that this doesn't happen by happenstance. And what that means is that it isn't just about building a pipeline. It's about finding every opportunity you can to look for roles and look for opportunities where somebody who may not apparently even feel like a fit turns out to be the best fit, right? And thereby open the aperture, look at things differently and find the right roles for people who are different, people who are women, people of color, you know, to be more inclusive, I think that is extremely important. And if you look at progress ourselves, when I got here, we didn't really have any woman on the board. And we've been able to bring three women on the board. And, you know, Boston Club recognized this past year that there are only six companies in Massachusetts that have three or more women on the board, and we are one of them. And I'm tremendously proud of that, right? But it takes a conscious effort that says having that diversity, having that different viewpoint and different perspective is truly important. There's also activities that one needs to be involved in, such as getting people ready for being on the board. There is something that MassTLC runs called the Board Ready Bootcamp. You know, I know that I have participated in it as a mentor and somebody who has sort of spoken in it. And But I also know that a lot of women in Boston and a lot of people who are minorities have actually actively participated in it as well. And it creates a group of candidates 
who become ready to become board members and so on. And last but not least, from a leadership perspective, I think that there are so many talented women and people of color who we don't always think of because, again, it goes back to the, you kind of say, for this kind of role, this is the kind of person I need. And those preconceived ideas, those preconceived stereotypes, I think, get in the way and biases get in the way. Again, you know, one of the things in the tech company that is rather less frequent is having women as GMs, right? And Lauren, you're a GM at Progress, right? You know, share your perspective on how you were able to get there and your perspective on the role. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to, Yogesh. I've been in the software industry for a long, long time in C-level roles for 10 to 15 years. So I've seen a lot. And I think one of the more challenging things I've seen about rising in your career as a woman can honestly be the lack of role models that look like you. So, I mean, women certainly look different from men, but they may also act differently, right? They may advocate for themselves very differently. A woman may identify a type of senior job, for example, that she'd like to have. But if the people in that role have all been men, she may wonder, right, I have a different approach or I look different or I have a different background, right? Is that job really for me? Would I be successful in it? So that's one side of the coin. And at the same time, I think it's also easy for organizations themselves to look at the role models of the past as a guide for who should hold these roles in the future. Men and women really do have style differences on the whole, right? Maybe not in every individual sense, but on the whole, a new role opens up that's challenging and a woman may say, you know, I'm not 100% qualified, so I probably am not ready yet, right? And a man may look at that role and say, I'm not 100% qualified, but you know what? I'm sure I'll be great. I'm going to give it a try. So I think organizations need to realize that there are these style differences and these differences in the way men and women promote themselves. So I think what the to do is for organizations and leaders, right, is to think more deeply and more expansively about the bench for any particular job, right? And yoga is sort of similar to what you were saying, right? To think past appearances, think past the level of outward self-promotion, think past the style of the individual, right? Mm -hmm. To truly see the capabilities of each person, right? But it's more than that. It's about identifying these individuals early on as well, long before there's a promotion opportunity to a big job. Mm -hmm. It's about really being able to get a diverse set of employees exposed to broader responsibilities, right? To open their horizons to show what they can do. So I've been speaking mostly from a gender perspective, but these same challenges and these same ways of thinking about talent really apply in a much broader sense, right? When we yep. broaden the conversation to race, to LGBTQ and more, as organizations start to think this way, they start welcoming differences. And to your point, Yogesh, is looking for those differences, realizing the benefit that those different perspectives bring to the organization mm -hmm. and realizing that exceptional talent comes in many forms and it doesn't come out of a mold. Hi, Warren. This is Steve. I wanted to say that listening to you talk about your journey to becoming a GM at Progress and the challenges that you faced that certainly I never faced as a man, it reminded me a little bit of what happened at the inauguration where we had our first female vice president, first African-American vice president, and just the role model that she represents. And as someone who's been at Progress for as long as I have, I can say that, you know, you should take pride in being a role model as well, really, as well as everybody else who's on the podcast, because we've made progress, no pun intended, certainly toward gender equality at progress. And that hasn't been an easy journey. And I'm proud of the work that we've done, knowing that we have a long way to go too. So Thanks, Steve. I appreciate that. Now, you know, I think the rise of Kamala Harris to vice president is just a really inspiring thing. I mean, even just watching the events of the inauguration and seeing it all take place was, I think, for many women and minorities was a really inspirational moment. Just by having her in that role, it makes you believe that more is possible. 
So it's really nice to see. And, you know, in my very small way, right, within the organization, I think the best role model you can be is someone who's real, right? And someone who's honest. You share your challenges. I'm not, and none of us are someone who's, you know, inhuman and perfect and doesn't have challenges like everyone else does. We all have challenges. And I think to the extent that you can share your humanity, in, of course, a very professional way, but share your humanity with the organization, I think more and more people will see themselves as someone who could be in that kind of a role, right? Because they can relate, whether it's having a family at home and, you know, kids banging at your door while you're working from home or whatever it may be, right? I think that as people start seeing leaders as human, they start seeing themselves as someone who could more possibly be in such a role. And hi, this is Jen. I think we also have to reflect on all the work that needs to be done. Because while the events that have gone on through the inauguration and the election of the first female vice president is amazing, and there's a tidal wave of changes coming from what we've seen in diversity by looking at so many pictures, I also get disappointed at times that we've had 46 presidents. We've had the role of the president for hundreds of years, and we've only had one female, right? And Lauren, I think we could count the number of female GMs we've had at Progress on one hand, where if we look at the number of male GMs we've had, it's in double digits, right? So I'm so excited to see the bold tidal wave of change that is coming both within the tech industry and in this country. But I also think we have a ton of work to do. And I would agree. It's so exciting to see these milestones, but to have these things and have the ability to have people from diverse backgrounds in these leadership roles is still far too few and far between. But Steve does make an excellent point, And you make an excellent point too. To see one means there's one person, right, that you've inspired yeah. to be in that role and show it is possible, which is amazing to see. Agreed. Awesome. That was all really great. And I will say, I keep a journal. So for me, seeing Kamala on stage, I just kept writing in my journal, there's a woman in the White House. She's VP. There's a woman in the White House. She's VP. I thought that was so cool to be able to just say. By the way, I know I'm a lower end of the totem pole of the pecking order for Kamala Harris, but there's a whole bunch of Indian pride going on on Kamala Harris. Her mother is Indian by ethnicity. And I am not joking. The level of engagement among Indians in the political scene and just, I only have sons, but I have friends who have daughters who really are like, and these are my classmates from college, right? And then these women, young women grew up in this country and they're like, wow, there's somebody like me, right? So I think seeing that is just, just amazing. I think this whole last few years that started with the Me Too movement and last summer's events that happened and now with Kamala Harris being elected vice president, I think for men, it's been a wake-up call too, mm -hmm. hopefully a positive one. I think certainly for me, it has been a very positive one to see the attention that's been paid and that there is a commitment to change. It is slow, and Jen's right, it's too slow, and I certainly rail about that too. But it is inspiring to see what we've seen over the course of the last few years. It is. And I think it's interesting because when we talk about inclusivity, I think the role of men is really important as well when we're talking about sort of the gender lens, right? When we think about the ability to enable women to succeed in their careers and to enable them the ability to invest in their careers, 
who they're married to and what their spouse is able to do is very important as well. And in a couple where you have a wife and a husband, the husband has to take on some of the childcare responsibilities. So if organizations can be sensitive to that and have it be okay for men to have to go for a family commitment or a, a commitment to their kids, those things are really important as well, because I think that then enables their counterpart to be able to invest more in their career as well. So I think that balance and understanding the role of men in enabling women is also a really important element of this whole thing. Yeah, really interesting points there, Lauren. So we covered a lot of ground in the first question, right? From corporate America to leadership of the US to challenging gender norms. And now I have a follow-up question. We talk about leadership in the C-suite and the board. But Katie, as chief people officer... How do we increase representation of underserved communities across all levels of the company? Yeah, it's a good question, Danielle. I mean, I think the rest of the people in this conversation just had some wonderful insights at a theoretical level, right, about what we should do. And I think where the challenge comes in for all of us is how do we take that down into practical application that drives actual change, right? And I think that that's what every leader is probably contemplating and challenging themselves with right now. So when it comes to representation, I think we have the most opportunity to do this in our hiring practices as we welcome new talent into an organization. So one of the things that we are doing is committing to diverse candidate slates and looking at the diversity of our candidates as they move through the funnel and ensuring that we have a really inclusive candidate experience for anybody who walks in our virtual doors, right? And in some ways, that's gotten, I think, harder by virtue of being fully remote as a team. And in some ways, that's gotten easier because right now, today, we have a leveled playing field in terms of all of us being simultaneously remote together. And that's true of candidates who are getting to know progress and new people who join the team. Everybody's sort of virtually onboarding together. I think that as we head into the new year, we have some additional challenges to solve for, right? In terms of how do we ensure still an inclusive playing field as some people come back to offices, as some people sort of envision permanently remote roles, so that everyone continues to be part of a conversation in a meaningful way in which they can participate. One of the other things that I've been really happy to see, and I'd love to hear from some of the other leaders in this conversation, is that our ERGs within progress have grown substantially just in the last couple months. So we have, for the past two or three years, have had a very active women's employer resource group. We call it Progress for Her. And a couple of people on this call, Lauren and Steve, are, are leaders in that as well. But just recently, we've had three new nascent ERGs forming. We have Blacks at Progress. We have an LGBTQ plus ERG, which is called PLUS. And then we have a yet-to-be-named Veterans ERG. And I'm really excited about what that means because to Lauren's point a few minutes ago, I think that representation matters and seeing people like yourselves in other roles and climbing career ladders or achieving new heights within an organization really matters. And so as we continue that, I think that's going to be something that's very, very important and how we, a really sort of a critical piece about how we continue to foster an inclusive workplace and a culture of belonging. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that, Katie. That was awesome. So Jen, as head of corporate marketing, what role do you see your team playing in engaging employees around inclusion and diversity efforts? 
So I'm really bad at analogies, but I'll try one. If the tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, does it actually fall? That's the analogy. So I think the point I'm trying to make there is Katie just talked about our ERGs. And if we have ERGs and there's no one to communicate that they're out there and there's no platform to talk about those ERGs, then who in the company knows they're there, right? So I am so very lucky to run our corporate communications team. I'm so lucky to have communications within my organization at this time because I have an advantage, right? I have a platform and I have tools to which carry out the company message. And right now, this team here, the team that I work with in corporate communications is just so passionate about IND. And you give us passion and a platform and an engaged employee base And there's our message right there, right? So it's a really great thing. We have the platform. We're getting the message out there. But then not only that, that's having the employees within the company engage and it's starting a dialogue. So now there is a dialogue within the company about all of these different topics that might have been taboo in corporate America at one point, right? But now we have organized groups that people are excited about, that they're touched by and Again, I'll just say I feel so lucky that we have this platform to be able to get the message out to the company. That's really interesting and spot on because I think one of the key things and a key element of all of this is to welcome dialogue and remove the taboo of talking about some of these topics. Like these topics can be uncomfortable for people. And I think that when we make it not just okay, but encouraged that we have these dialogues about differences, right? And we have these dialogues about diversity and the challenges on multiple levels. I think that is a really good start and a really good platform to making change. So I think you're right. The communication and that dialogue is just so critical. Lauren, I love that call out. One pillar that I come back to time and time again with any of our inclusion and diversity work is that it's courage before comfort, courage over comfort, right? Because it's very comfortable to keep doing things the way we do things now and it's efficient and it's the sort of path of least resistance, right? But you're right. I think that there's there's sort of a well that we need to tap on and go back to that demands courage in order to drive change. But one thing that you said, Jen, that I will completely disagree with, you said that you're very lucky to be in the position that you are. And I challenge my female colleagues on this all the time. You're not lucky. You've worked your off to get where you are today, and you should own that piece of your story. Oh, thank you, Katie. We're lucky to have you in your seat. And I would agree with that. So what I would say to that is you need to have a network of peers who support you as a female or a male across any organization. Without that, you're an island or you're someone swimming around not knowing where to go. So having that network of peers, again, bringing it back to the ERGs, right, through progress for her Mm -hmm. helps so much. So I think one of the most important things is that finding people who have not done that role before, but have the ability to do that role. All of us do something for the first time. I remember when I first became a CEO, somebody said, oh, you know, first time CEO. And, you know, we're looking for somebody who has been a CEO before. And my response was, I think they were a first time CEO at some point. And so really the question here is, we quite often fall into the trap of, I want to find somebody who has already done this before. In some ways, actually, that does not get you the best candidates because that candidate is less motivated to succeed. They've already done it and succeeded before, right? So they think they already know all the answers. So I think quite often finding what is it that you really need in terms of abilities, 
in terms of characteristics and behaviors, in terms of skills, and then looking for those rather than on the resume, has this person checked off this box before? And I think that is hard work. That is harder work in while actually, for example, filtering out resumes. So talent acquisition has to look at things differently. It is harder work when writing job descriptions because you have to write about what you are really looking for the person to do, not titles and years of experience and this, that, and the other. So I think that those are the kind of things that are much harder to do, but I think are absolutely required so that you can widen the aperture. If you become intentional, you then have to say, who is actually going to be capable of doing this job? And whenever we hire somebody, we take a chance. There's no such thing as a slam dunk hire. Never is, never will be. So one should take chances. It's part of doing good hiring is giving people chances. I heard a whole lot of goodness when it came to addressing this question as far as passion and platform, engaged employee base, starting a dialogue, having courage over comfort, and making sure that people who feel like they might not be able to apply for a role know that you don't need to have all of those 10 things listed. And I love what you said, Yogesh, all of us do something for the first time. Really good, powerful statement there. So Anthony, this one's for you. So as chief financial officer... How do we accelerate the pace of change in corporate America? These conversations aren't new. What can be done? Yeah, it is interesting. I think things, and maybe it was Jen who said this earlier, things have been progressing too slowly for too long. But I do feel like we've hit that inflection point now because I can see change happening on multiple fronts. I believe it was late 2019 when the Wall Street Journal published a report where they had looked at all of the companies in the S&P 500 and ranked them based on their inclusiveness and diversity. And it turns out the 20 most diverse companies in the research not only had better operating results on average than the lower scoring firms, but their shares actually outperformed those of the least diverse firms. So I think a lot of empirical data started to come out saying that companies that really embraced diversity and were more inclusive in how they operated were performing better. I think that was interesting. And I think a lot of folks latched onto that. You know, there clearly is a whole group of investors that from a environmental, social and governance perspective, the sort of ESG pool of investors, there are investors out there who will not invest in certain companies unless they meet certain criteria around ESG that are important to those investors. And so I think the empirical data showed that companies were performing better when they had more inclusive and diverse workforces. I think investors started to see it and started to put money towards those companies. And even more recently, the NASDAQ introduced a proposal that boards of NASDAQ listed companies would need at least one woman and one board member who is LGBTQ. And I think that's a similar proposal to the state of California. So, you know, I think the data is there. I think that from an investor perspective, people are seeing it. I think from a regulatory perspective, people understand the importance. And so I do see this coming from a lot of different angles right now. And I do think that that is going to accelerate the pace of change. I think another interesting data point is that Deloitte did a study in 2020, and I think their estimate was 
more than 60% of millennials would consider quitting their job if their employer didn't prioritize diversity and inclusion. And my perspective is that I think the business community is coming at this from almost every conceivable angle right now. And so not only is it better for business, which, you know, the data would tell you it is, but I think people are frustrated with the pace of change and whether that's regulatory or millennials coming into the workforce or investors who recognize that more inclusive and diverse workforces produce better results and generally are more innovative companies because they've got diversity of opinion and idea. I do think it's coming from a lot of different angles right now, and that feels different than it has been, at least in my 25 plus year career. And I think that's something to be pretty optimistic about. So yeah, I would agree with you, Anthony. And I think over the last few years, there's been a lot that's been written and talked about what is the purpose of a corporation? Whom do they serve? And, you know, it used to be that it's shareholder, 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 that if you don't maximize the return to shareholders, then you're not performing your responsibilities. And I think over time, that has started to get whittled down. And I think that for a lot of people, and particularly ones in large corporations, there's an imperative now that even if there's no regulatory requirement, or even if necessarily the returns that you talked about on having a diverse company versus a less diverse company, even if that didn't exist, there's a moral imperative now that says diversity should be part of what a corporation does. It's not universally accepted, but it's getting there. And I think some of the largest, most influential corporations are embracing this. And I think in many respects, that's how I view it. I think that's how Yogesh, you view it. There's a moral obligation to act. And I think the more these different factors intervene, the more likely it is there will be change because change doesn't often come from the government. It comes from the private sector and it comes from people deciding that they've had enough and this is how they want to affect change. So I'm optimistic. And with some of the things that Anthony talked about, I think it just is further proof that we're riding a wave at the moment. May not be a huge wave, but it is a wave. Steve, you're right. You know, I mean, I think I've said before, right? We should do it because it's the right thing to do, right? Of course, people will do regulations and people do stuff and we will follow regs, right? But that's sort of trailing, right? That's being behind the curve. I think we should lead. And I think what that means is basically making the change happen and making the change happen faster than everybody else. So that really is what should drive us from my perspective. I think that's right, Yogesh. And I think as leaders, we have to hold ourselves accountable to that by setting objectives around our diversification and our approach to it. Who do we want to be by 2022 or 2025, right? I think we need Mm -hmm. to align around that. I think we need to state it. And then I think we need to commit to resourcing strategies that get us there. I think we have made an intentional investment in searching for a chief inclusion and diversity officer to help come in and augment the work that we're already doing and to lead us into next generation thinking on this. Mm -hmm. But getting from point A to point B is going to be a lot of work, right? And I think that one change that we're starting to make is that we are starting to measure a lot more than what we used to. We are looking at where different representations fall out in our candidate pipelines. We're looking at our own broken rung of when do women step back in their career or when do people of color maybe not 
advance to the next level within the organization. And I think by measuring it and by looking at that, we'll start to ask why and we'll start to solve those problems a little bit more effectively than maybe what history has done so far for us. But it's that measurement, right? We measure what matters because we want to change it. And I think that that's something I'm excited about for 2021 is looking at that, especially in a pandemic, right? When women are leaving the workforce and abandoning their roles in greater numbers than we've ever seen. This is flashing red with a big neon light now. And how do we look to not just quell that terrible step backwards that we're seeing across the workforce, but then take that momentum and propel us into a new future too. So this has been a great discussion. Thank you all so much for your time. I just have one final question for you all. Looking ahead this year, we're in a new year just starting. What's the one thing we should be thinking about when it comes to inclusion and diversity? And Yogesh, we can start with you. Sure. So, you know, from my perspective, I think we need to think of inclusion extremely broadly. Three years ago, we were thinking of inclusion and we primarily thought of gender. And now we're thinking of people of color, blacks, underrepresented minorities, some conversation about LGBTQ+, but really language, religion. I think all kinds of things. And I think we need to start again inside. We need to make sure that we are truly inclusive, inclusive with people who are coming into work in person or not, because that's going to be another flexibility that we will have over time, right? So I think being inclusive really is making sure that every individual has the ability to participate fully. And the term that is used is whole self, right? But whatever, right? And it's being able to be part of the organization and be fully part of the organization. And I think that is really absolutely critical. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Yogesh. I think expanding kind of the scope of how we think about diversity is really important in reaching out beyond gender to other areas, race and areas that are a little bit more challenging, right, to figure out how you incorporate and how you promote. It's so important for us to think expansively. And then at the same time, I think it's realizing that though as a corporate community, perhaps we've made progress on gender, we have, right? 20% of the largest public company boards have women on them, right? Are women. And that's a huge change than it was even 10 years ago. So, you know, we have, as we mentioned, a female vice president outside of the corporate world, but in government. I mean, these things are really inspirational and they're really meaningful because we have come a long way to get here. But it's just really important to remember that as we promote diversity, we've just scratched the surface on gender as well. And so diversity initiatives are never done, right? We're never going to solve it or be complete. Our work just needs to be a continuous body of work that just goes on and on over the years. And every year we're going to see progress and every year we're going to see kind of the climate change and we're going to see our diversity numbers change and we're going to feel it, right? But it takes a really long time to reach a really large population of people and to really make this part of how we work and how other organizations work. So I think that's the message I would give is that this is longer than a marathon, right? This is just continual eternal work in some ways on diversity and we should view it that way. You know, we can reach milestones and feel good about them, but we always need to keep working and pushing. Yeah, it's a great point, Lauren. It's one of the things that can be hard or disheartening about this work, I think, sometimes for people is that it's not often rapid change, but it yeah. it's a permanent or long-term commitment to gradual but persistent change and not letting up. But I think the one thing in 2021 that I'd like to see more of is vulnerability. I think that as leaders, we are raised not to show vulnerability. And I think that vulnerability is really an incredibly powerful tool, but also a muscle that needs to be worked, right? I think that 
we need to model the behavior so that others can be vulnerability because that will improve inclusion and make for safer spaces for our people. But I think that until we really ask ourselves the hard questions and get comfortable with the honest answers and the vulnerability that that requires, it gets harder to really drive change in an aligned way. And I'd say that that's sort of true across the world right now. I'd like to see more of that. That's a good point, Katie. And for me, in an area of work that you and I are collaborating on that I think is going to be a major focus in 2021 is how do we go back to the office and what does that look like? And we know that it's probably not going to return to the way it was before COVID-19. And because of that, there are going to be people that are going to be in the office some days, and then they're going to be people that are remote. And that makes inclusion and diversity even more important because the people that are in the office may have the benefit of being included where the people outside do not. And Lauren and I have talked a lot about how this has disproportionately fallen on women that not even just leaving the workforce, but where there's situations where they're taking the laboring or on the childcare side. And if they can't be in the office and that jeopardizes their ability to be included and to rise in the organization, that's not achieving our goals. So this is an area that I'm certainly focused on in 2021. Yeah, I agree with you, Steve. I mean, it just adds a whole additional layer of challenges in some ways and complexities to thinking about inclusion and diversity. So one more reason that we can never rest on our laurels. Yeah. And I think the way we can do that as leaders is part of inclusion. And it kind of touches on what Katie was saying. It's just our behaviors, right? I think there's been a lot of good conversation today. And I think making sure that our behavior is inclusive and that people can emulate that. And I think for 21, again, talking about bold goals, I'd love to get past imposter syndrome too, right? I'd love for that to just go away, right? A girl can dream. I know it won't, but I think by changing some of our behaviors, we can stop talking about that. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Jen. And, you know, as I think about 2021, your guest said, be deliberate. And I think a lot of the things we're talking about, being deliberate and thoughtful about inclusion and diversity. And I personally think the reality is, you know, not only is it the morally right thing to do, but it's actually good for business. It's good on every front. And to me, as a CFO, when there's empirical data that supports that, I get encouraged that we're not going to have to continue to push the rock up such a big hill going forward and that the pace of change is going to accelerate. And I think it's going to be good for businesses like ours who really want to lead in an area like this. When you allude to Sisyphus, you make me want to quote Amanda Gorman in The Hill We Climb, Anthony. So (laughs) it couldn't be more more aligned. Thank you all for your time today. It's great that we're able to have these conversations and answer tough questions. And the pace of change is slow. That was a constant message throughout this conversation. But there are a lot of people focused on increasing the pace, including all of you. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for facilitating, Danielle. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. This was great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you all for listening to our very first episode of the Progress Proud podcast. We'll be bringing more conversations to you throughout the year with various progressors so we can learn more about the great people who make up progress. So until next time, keep making us progress proud. Progress proud.